And please turn in your copy of uh, God's Holy Word to Hebrews chapter 5 as we continue our exposition of the epistle to the Hebrews. We will consider, especially today, verses 11 through 14, but I will begin the reading at verse 4 that we might get the context once again. So Hebrews 5, verse 4. These are the very words of God. Let us receive them as such. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And here's where we pick up our sermon text. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a convicting word is before us. And we pray, Father, that you would enable your minister here, your servant, O God, to preach faithfully. We pray, Father, that through the preaching of the word, the people of God would not be dull of hearing. And the only way that might happen, Father, is if your spirit is in the preaching. So give your spirit to the preacher. And give your spirit to the hearers, that we might all hear the very voice of God from the scriptures, that we would grow up, Father, from milk to meat, that we would be exercised, our senses would be exercised to discern good and evil. Oh, Lord, only you can do this. So we ask your blessing now. And so, Father, to that end, we pray that you would help me, the preacher, glorify thy son, Jesus, that thy son also may glorify thee in the preaching of the word. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, it is common knowledge that a lack of appetite is often a symptom of illness. If you go to the doctor and you say, I have no appetite for food, doctor, he will become concerned, especially if this has gone on for quite some time. He will probably note these things are happening to you. You are becoming lethargic. He will note that you are unable to think clearly. Because truly, a lack of appetite is a sign of sickness. And yet, throughout the church of Jesus Christ, many Christians have no spiritual appetite at all. And the apostle says, because of that, they become dull and weak. They backslide. They sin. And they even forget first principles of the gospel itself. That's what the apostle 
saw the Hebrews were facing. And he shares in this text that he is frustrated with their lack of spiritual progress. And that lack of spiritual progress was happening because they had a terrible diet or perhaps no diet at all on the Word of God. And they were still like spiritual infants. Their growth in the Lord was being stunted. And this is a contributing factor. You know, this whole epistle, of course, is a warning not to leave Jesus Christ. This whole epistle is a warning to not go back to the Old Testament. And what was happening is they were forgetting because they're not progressing in the Word. They were regressing. And they were forgetting the first principles that there is no need for a tabernacle. There is no need for a temple because Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of that. And so what we find in this text is that if you will not progress in the Word, you will regress. And you will forget even that which you once knew. Even the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus, looking to him alone for salvation, not needing other mediators. These are all things that they had forgotten. And so our theme tonight is a warning that you must hunger for the word and grow in it, lest you find yourself backsliding and on the road to apostasy. You must never, ever be content with what you know of the word. To be content with what you know is to regress in the faith. And so we'll consider this under three heads. First is the charge. The people were dull of hearing. The second is the growth, which is to be had, which is to go from milk to meat. And third is the discernment. We are to exercise our senses. So first, the charge that he lays at the Hebrews. They're dull of hearing. Now, we have begun a discourse on Melchizedek, and we've seen his connection to Jesus Christ. But now the apostle basically laments I'm going to have to put this on hold. And he will until chapter 7. In chapter 7, he's going to pick up this theme again because he pauses for a moment of frustration, friends, with the Hebrews. He says, I have a lot to say about Melchizedek. A lot. Because Melchizedek points you to Jesus Christ. To connect Melchizedek and his regal office as a royal high priest to Jesus Christ, though, required the Hebrews to be steeped in the Holy Scripture. And his frustration is, they're not. They don't know the word as they ought to. They were stuck with an elementary understanding of the word. And that is inexcusable, he says, given that you should be teachers by now. He says this is inexcusable. And because you are stuck with an elementary understanding of the word, this is keeping you from knowing more about the glory of Christ. In verse 11, He says, and this is the frustration of whom speaking of Melchizedek, we have many things to say, hard to be uttered because seeing ye are dull of hearing. I have, this is perhaps one of the most greatest frustrations probably for a minister, is I have so much of the glory of Christ to proclaim, and yet I have to bring you back to first principles. I'm not speaking of you particularly, but this is a great frustration oftentimes Uh, You lament, there's so much of Christ to show, so much of God's will for us in the scriptures, but I have to bring you back to first principles. Would the Lord say that to you today, friend? I have much to say to you, child of God, but hard to be uttered. I can't say it, seeing you have become dull of hearing. We could ask, what causes such spiritual dullness? If we're facing it, what is it that causes us when the word of God comes? We don't, we don't receive it. We're not interested in it. 
We have no appreciation of it. Uh, we find that it bores us. What causes these things? Well, from the context, there is a general lack of interest in the Word of God that the Hebrews had. And when the Word of God and growth in the Word is not present in our life, we will become spiritually dull. We will backslide from the Lord. What is it that causes us to become dull of hearing? Often think about this, and maybe if you were converted later in life, you might still remember this. Often you find that when a believer is born again, they desire the, the, the word as pure milk, right? And we ought to. We, we saw that in Peter last week. But at some point, something strange happens, and we start to become dull to it. Once the word was marvelous in our eyes, we wanted to lap it up, so to speak, if I may press the analogy. But then, it's like we say, I can take it. I can leave it. It's not so important to me anymore. What typically happens in such a case is carnality has really come between us and the Lord. And that is what causes such dullness. You know, there's a a parallel passage that sheds quite a bit of light for us on this phenomenon. In 1 Corinthians 3, the first four verses, listen to the Apostle. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, kind of goes to this morning, doesn't it? Are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Regardless of the specifics here, the broader principles we must bring to bear, the Corinthians were living for the flesh. In this case, the manifestation of it was divisions and strife. But what they were doing is by going in the direction of strife and division, they were gratifying their flesh and not the spirit. They were living in carnality, which is the greater principle. You don't have to worry about just strife anytime we live in carnality. The more you gratify the flesh, the duller you are going to become. The more you gratify your flesh through sin, the more you gratify your flesh by indulging in the things of this world, the less you will have any interest in the word of God and the oracles of God. Even, mark this well, even to prioritize lawful things, over spiritual exercises and the word of God will make you dull to the word of God and cause you to regress. There are many who have structured their life in this way where they now say they are too busy to spend time with the Lord because they pursue things in the world. Again, many of these things are lawful. But friends, what that does is it causes a domino effect in your life. You have also told the Lord what you truly value. You've told him, I don't value your voice. I don't value your speech. I don't value the voice of the good shepherd. Instead, I value this or that or the other thing. Again, can be very lawful, yet still a violation of the first commandment. So we have to be aware of that. Many of us have pursuits that push the word away and time with the Lord. The other matter that will cause you to become spiritually dull is to become satisfied. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, satisfied with what you know of the Lord, right? Like sometimes we feel like we've reached a plateau or we feel like, well, I know enough of the Lord that I should be satisfied now. But what did the Apostle Paul 
who knew the greatest mysteries of the faith, what did he say? Philippians 3.12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.12, You are never to be content. You deal with the God of heaven. You deal with the most glorious subject that there is, inexhaustible friends. You need to pursue him. You must never say, I know enough of the Lord Jesus. I don't. Every year, every day, I am confronted in some way of how little I know of Jesus Christ. I read the word and I I find so much and I say, how did I never notice this thing about the Lord Jesus before? I read the word and I say, how did I ever miss that the Lord wants this part of my heart I read the word and I say, how did I miss so much revealed about the glories that are to come? I read the works of other godly men, men like the Puritans, and I am astonished at the truths that they draw out of the deep wells of the word of God. And that's why in the next chapter, the apostle begins by saying, you must leave the first principles, the first principles of the doctrines of Christ. Not that you put them behind you and you forget them, but you need to progress. You need to progress, friends. You must push yourself, beloved. No matter where you are in the faith, you must push yourself to learn more about Christ. Fill your time, your free time with Christ. Consider it an opportunity to know more of your God. Oftentimes when you say, I have free time now, what do you do? Well, let me see what's on television, what's on the internet, what's on my social media. Why is free time to you not free time with the Lord? Push yourself to learn more about this most glorious subject. Create a queue. I get in the habit of this now. I create a queue of good books and sermons to listen to. I can't listen to them all at once, but I have created a habit where I feel like I have time. It used to be I might... uh, put my time into social media or something. Now I have a spiritual reflex that I'm not perfect as I ought to be, but oftentimes it's, let me hit the queue. Let me hit the queue. Let me find what is in the queue and let me pick up a book or pick up... Uh, I've uh, resolved this this uh, last couple months to spend intensive time in the pastoral epistles. And that's what I do now when I have some time. It's just a deep dive there. Why can you not push yourself in that way, friends? You don't have to be a minister. He's speaking to ordinary Christians in this text, not just pastors. And so if we're speaking of remedies to dullness, this is where you begin. Begin first by disentangling yourself from the world and from your sin especially. Repent often of your sin. Get yourself out of the world. Stop being so carnal. Stop living to gratify your flesh, because that's what happens, right? You have some time, and immediately your thought is going to go, if you're like me, as every sinful fallen man or woman is in this way, you're going to think, what can I do to gratify my flesh? And you must turn away from that. You must stop wanting to be so amused by the fleeting vanities of this world. You must know what really and truly matters, and what truly and really matters for your time is Christ. Which is why he says, redeem the time. The days are evil. Do you really know, have you really taken stock of this? What will endure in your life, friends? Will it be like the pagan to binge that series on Netflix for hours and hours on end? Boys and girls, will it be the video games where you unlocked, and I hate 
how the world does is these so-called achievements, which are no achievements at all. Is that what you are after? Men, will it be all the overtime you work to get another piece of this world? I'm not saying because you needed it, but because you just wanted something more. But it pushed away the Lord. You sacrificed your devotional time with the Lord you spent eternity with to gain the things of this world that will burn. What is all that doing to your soul? It is causing you to become dull where you're unable to take hold of the glories of the Savior and the life to come, where you're unable to walk with the Lord closely in holiness as you heard this morning. What a terrible thing that happens that the Lord might say you have become dull spiritually. I've noted this to you um, before, to most of you. The reason that I was compelled to go into the ministry was when I, as a new believer, and this is not to pat me on the back in any way, when I knew more about the word than my coworkers who had been Christians for decades, it broke my heart. It didn't puff me up. It made me mourn, especially when I read Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I saw it in action. Men who were Christians for decades who could not even pray. One man who was a Christian from childhood I had a workplace Bible study, and I asked him the question as we opened up Galatians. Uh, I asked the question generally to the, the group. I asked, so what is the law that Paul is speaking of here in Galatians? And he said hesitantly, the law of man in Galatians. And that is spiritual dullness, friends, because it's the law of God, as I hope you know, that Paul is referencing. He had become dull of hearing. I'll tell you what he spent his time on. He spent his time, he would work overtime at the office, even though he didn't have to. He would. He was a, a really great Halo player. I was working in the video games at the time. He was wonderful at Halo. He knew the latest games quite well, knew all the research on it. I was in video games mostly for the technical challenge, but he really loved games, and he would tell me about all these games and the things they were doing, and I was like, when do you get the time? You have four children. And he had become what verse 12 says, for when the time you ought to be teachers... You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And when I read that verse, I wonder to myself, how much of the gospel did he actually know at one point, but had lost over the years? He had to learn the first principles of the oracles of God. But let me say, God is so good. He was convicted of his sin in this area. And being convicted, he found a tremendous zeal to follow the Lord, and he spent time in the Word. He sought to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ, and he never missed an opportunity from that day forward to study his Bible. I praise God for it. And the Lord can do that for you as well if you diligently seek Him. And in addition to, and he disentangled himself from the world more and more. And in addition to disentangling yourself from the world and sin, you must grow to esteem what this word is. Verse 12 says, these are the very oracles of God. Literally, these are the utterances of God. That's what that means. This book is the speech of the Almighty in a way that you will not be destroyed by it. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us ye received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. See it's a word of power friends. 
It's the word of God, and so it is also a word of power. It effectually works in you who believe. If you want spiritual blindness to be removed, you must receive the word of God as the word of God. That it is not a book written by men. Men were instruments, yes, they were holy men moved by the Holy Ghost. But this book was written by God. You must capture the wonder of that. If God means anything to you, this word would mean something to you. You probably had it, like I said, when you first believed, didn't you? What did Jeremiah in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen say? Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Is that the word to you, friend? That when you find the word, it is the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. When you approach the word of God, say something like this with the psalmist, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's how you approach the word of God, friends. Psalm 119, verse 18. If that's not your attitude to the word, you really have to repent of it. There's little worse than a Christian jaded to the wonders of the word of God. Every time I open my Bible, there is something wonderful I I find in it. You know, yes, it is my job to meditate on the scripture, literally. But every time I open the word in my devotional time and I sit there and I take it in, there is something wonderful to find in it. Pray that the Lord would make this the condition of your heart. When you open the scriptures at home or before you come to hear it in public worship, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You do hear Christ speak through the word as the voice of God to man. For future reference, note this, larger catechism, question 157, and look at its scripture proofs. It's very helpful. The answer to how you are to read the word of God is this. The holy scriptures are to be read with a high and reverent esteem of them, with a firm persuasion that they are the very word of God, and that he only can enable us to understand them, with desire to know, believe, and obey the will of God revealed in them, with diligence and attention to the matter and scope of them, with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. There's so much in that answer that is necessary to receive the word correctly. To have a high and reverent esteem of them. A firm persuasion, these are the very words of God. To humble ourselves and recognize we need his help to understand it. We are not sovereign over the word he is a desire to know, believe, and obey it, to come to the Bible and say, I want to know the word, I want to believe the word, and I want to obey the word. To attend to it diligently, not with my thoughts half on the words I am reading and half on the world, but diligently attending to it, not haphazardly. To give attention to the matter and scope of it. What does the confession say in chapter 1? That what is the matter and scope? To give glory to God. Not even to help myself, but to give glory to God. We are to give attention to it and meditate on it, to think on it, and to apply it to our lives. You are to say in every scripture, how can I apply this to myself? And here is one, self-denial. The word will cause you to die to yourself if you are really reading it right. Even to come to the word itself, doesn't it, require self-denial. Your flesh is going to tell you you have better things to do. You probably know that book of the Bible just fine. There's going to be all kinds of deceitful thoughts in your mind and your heart when it's time for the word. You need to die to yourself. But if you yearn for the word 
and receive it in these ways. The Lord will remove your spiritual dullness. Form good habits, people of God. Good habits, and the Lord will reward you. But next, let's consider the growth going from milk to meat. Verse 12 to 14a. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. This text describes what ought to be for all of us as we grow in the faith. Again, this is not for pastors. This is for all of us. And the first aspect of this text is to note that the word itself feeds and nourishes you. It is the primary spiritual diet for the Christian. It's not the sacraments. Many get this wrong, especially in Rome. But it is the word. We grow primarily, though not exclusively, from the word. Even when the sacraments are present, as we had a baptism last week, and we had the Lord's Supper last month, even when the sacraments are observed, if the word is not present, the sacraments have zero value. That is why you can read the Bible through and through, and you will find that the testimony of God's own utterance, this Bible, is that the word of God is to be primary in your life. Even Jesus said, search ye the scriptures. The scriptures. It is like milk to us when we are born again, and it is like meat to us, strong meat when we grow in faith. The same word. It's our spiritual nourishment. Even in Job, the oldest book of the Bible, what does Job say? Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Is that true for you? Job 23.12. For instance, here's a very, very quick way of diagnosing this. Would you sooner miss the word or your breakfast in the morning? Which is it that you find is more necessary? Job says the word is more to him than his necessary food. He's not saying food is unnecessary. He is saying the word has a higher place than even that. Where is the word in your diet, friends? And what made the Hebrews spiritually dull and what contributed to their backsliding and danger, you think of this in chapter 6, a full-blown apostasy. Full-blown apostasy is because they did not grow in the word. The apostle says they should be teachers at this time, but now they had to be taught the elementary principles of the faith. That is regressing. And that is what happens, friends. If you do not exercise yourself spiritually, not regular in the word, and not just regular in it, but pushing yourself to grow, you will regress. You will not stagnate. In other words, you will regress spiritually. And you will be taken in by false teachers you will have people say things that sound interesting and intriguing to you as the Hebrews heard from the Judaizers and you will go in that direction because you are not exercised in the word. To not regress, the apostle says you need to grow from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. Meaning going from the first principles, the milk, to the deeper things, the meat. In the sixth chapter, some of the milk he articulates. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. These are first principles. The matters that come with what must I do to be saved. The things every Christian learns straight away. That my works are dead. They don't commit me to God. I must have faith in the Lord Jesus. I am to be baptized. There will be a resurrection. There is a judgment to come. 
Yet this is as far as many Christians go in their knowledge of the faith. So if as far as you go are the first principles, the milk, and you do not grow, you will even lose what you have. That's what happened to the Hebrews, as I said in the introduction, isn't it? They started to forget the first principles of Christianity. And they ran back to the Mosaic economy, which was passing away, when they knew full well at one point that the better had come. Friends, those who do not progress in the word, they're taken in by cultists, they're taken in by charlatans, charismatics, papists, and so on. The Lord says to be content in many things, but never where you are spiritually. Never. We must press on and pursue Christ through his word, or we will go backwards. And those are the only two directions you're going in today, friend. You're either going forward or you're going backward. There is no plateau. Those are it. So which direction are you at? On. Now, I want to say we must never neglect the first principles, the milk. Today, sadly, many Christians are not even acquainted with that. These first principles, though, very helpfully have been recognized by the church. And all of these, and this is a help for you, I pray, are found in your shorter catechism. All should be acquainted with it. It's divided into two parts. What man is to believe concerning God, the first 38 questions. And then what duty God requires of man in the remaining questions. That is the foundation of the faith, very helpful for us as well. So if you're older and have not studied it, do so. Have it point you to the word. There are remarkable scriptures cited, some that you may have never meditated on. And I want to say this because catechism has kind of fallen uh, by the wayside, even in Reformed churches. I'm very grateful you know, every Lord's Day to hear the children here and the young people, and not even children, but young men and women uh, cite them. The purpose, and you may not be aware of this, of the Reformed catechisms um, is to prepare you for the preaching of the word. That was the goal. So that the minister would not have to, as the apostle does here, lay down elementary principles again and again and again. So that he would not have to say with the apostle that we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. So many ministers have to say this. I have so much to say regarding the two natures of Christ. I have much to say of how God is profoundly simple without composition or parts. The deep things I can reveal from the word regarding the offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. The deep things hinted at at the beatific vision of God. The eternal decrees of God and how God has decreed all that comes to pass. And yet men are still culpable as moral agents. I have much more to say about the marvelous things to behold in the law of God. These are some of the meat that you find in the word. But how hard it is for me to utter them because you do not know first principles. If you have not been catechized, be catechized, beloved. You remember how Luke's gospel began to Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things which, uh, wherein thou hast been instructed. That word instructed is catecheo, which means catechism. That Luke had, uh, had taught, or Theophilus in some way had learned, basically by question and answer, the principles of the word of God. And the gospel comes so that he might have certainty of those things he learned. So you need to grow from elementary principles to a greater knowledge of the word. And I want you to consider the absurdity of the illustration the apostle makes. Could you imagine a 40-year-old drinking only milk for sustenance? That's what he says the Hebrews were like. 
We laugh at men who are in their 20s who only want to eat chicken nuggets. That's essentially what this is like, friends. This food associated with children whose palate has not been refined past hot dogs and things like that. We laugh, right? Because it is a sign not really that uh, in some ways, yes, maybe there's a, a sense where we're being cruel to people, but there is a sign there where they have not progressed into maturity is really the reason, right? We say, by now you should be having uh, food that is well-refined, that uh, is rich in taste, that you can appreciate, that you are to be mature. And yet, spiritually, we have the equivalent in the Christian church of aged men and women who are eating the spiritual equivalent of Happy Meals. What would the Lord call your spiritual diet on the Word of God? A spiritual happy meal or savory and rich food for nourishment. Perhaps the greatest sorrow to the child of God in not growing in the word is really this, right? And you, you, this is why with my friend that I talk, spoken of at the Bible study, is that God was profoundly small in his eyes because he did not know the word. And what happens when we regress in the word is God ceases to grow in our heart and soul. The Bible says that we are to seek out the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that ceases, and we lose what knowledge of him that we have slowly, and he becomes dim to us. We cease saying, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, 1 Timothy 2.12. We cease to know him, and we cease to persevere against our flesh, the world, and the devil. That is why Paul then tells Timothy, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.13. If you're backsliding today, ask yourself, am I progressing in the word of God? Am I progressing in how? Ask if your knowledge and sight of Jesus has become far too dim. Renew your covenant with God and seek to pursue him out of the word. Now, there is a danger in our circles. Sometimes we know much of the word, but don't do so with humility, and we do not progress actually in the word because of that. We find ourselves running afoul of the apostolic warning, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth, which is a strange thing really, because a man who knows more of the word, if you are truly growing in the word, you should understand more keenly how great a sinner you are. You should understand more keenly just how more awesome God is than you are. And so you are to become, as you grow in the word, more and more a humbled creature before the Almighty. Job thought he knew a lot about God, but God shows up and Job shuts his mouth in view of the splendor of God. So Paul warns us, 1 Corinthians 14.20, and this is where the theme comes back again. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. See, that is the principle as we grow, right? In malice, be children. In understanding, be men. This is why, again, how was Ryle described as we considered him last week, right? A man of granite with the heart of a child. That's what we must be, friends. That's what growing in the faith is like, a more childlike heart. Well, with that, then let's conclude with the discernment, which is the exercise of senses. As you grow, verse 13 says, you will be more skilled in the word of righteousness. 
You're to grow more skilled in the word of righteousness. All of us. None of us are exempt from that. I praise God that I become a bit more skilled in the word each and every day. And if you talk to the oldest, godliest minister, he will say the same. That's a wonderful thing to become more skilled in the word. None of us are exempt from that. Your duty is to become more skillful in both knowing and applying the word. More capable of smelling out heresy and soul-damning doctrines. Ephesians 4.14 puts it this way. That we henceforth be no more children. Look in your Bible. How many times the apostle tells you not to be as a child and see what your duty is. No more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And that was what was happening to the Hebrews, wasn't it? They were being taken in by cunning men. And it seems like every week you hear of more Christians ensnared by the doctrines of men. And you say, friend, if you only knew your Bible, how you would flee, how you would flee such an evil man. This is what was happening here. They knew little or nothing about Melchizedek. They knew little or nothing about Psalm 2 and 110. And they were going to be taken unaware by men who said something as basic as this. Jesus did not come from the order of Aaron, and so he cannot be your priest. But he says, if you knew Psalm 2 and you knew Psalm 110, Messiah would be of the order of Melchizedek. And this is the frustration here. You have become dull of hearing, and it is hard to say these things to you. But if you had known the word, you would not have been on the brink of apostasy. The reason men and women are taken up by Rome's heresies, the mysticism of the Eastern Orthodox, the cultic personalities of the charismatics, and the soul-damning doctrines of Mormonism are because they don't know the word of God. And they have no skill in it. And they are deceived by the slight of men and their cunning craftiness. But verse 14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those who eat the strong meat of the word exercise their senses, meaning that they apply the word that they receive and they use it. In other words, spiritual food is not just to be ingested, it is to be exercised. You receive, we believe, by faith, grace from God through the word, but it is your responsibility to exercise it, to use it, not just store it away. It's the same with your physical food, if I may press the analogy. If you do not exercise yourself after eating, you become dull and lethargic. Spiritually, this is a particularly problematic issue for many modern Reformed. Maybe a lot of ingesting the word, but very little spiritual exercise of it ever learning, and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And so they are spiritually dull. James wrote this, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. What comes next? Deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You want the blessing of the word, you must exercise it. You must do it. James 1, 21-25. You cannot leave your faith behind in the morning after reading your Bible, 
After hearing a sermon preached, you must resolve, what, Lord, must I take away from this word? What must I exercise in my life? Reformed Christians in times past were always exhorted to exercise their faith. The faith of our forefathers was never merely mental. It was applied and it was lived. That's what distinguishes the Puritans from theoretical Christians. A deep love of the word applied to every part of life and society. In fact, what we need to do is have our life drive ourselves back into the word. When I consider my children, I am to say, let me see what the Lord has to say of them. I am to exercise the word. When I consider my discouragements, I say, let me inquire from the oracles of God what God has to say on this matter. When I consider my blessings, I say, let me see what God requires of me to be a good steward. And by exercising your senses through the word, he says here, you will discern good and evil. An important, mostly neglected duty in our time. You are, in other words, to take in everything you behold. Boys and girls, let me speak to you directly. You are to take in everything you behold in this world through your senses and discern, is this good or is this evil? Everything you are to exercise according to the word. And how will you know unless you have the oracles of God and the word of God, whether something is good or evil? Today, you are told to call what is evil good and what is good evil. And many Christian people, you'll see this, and it's so baffling in one way if this text did not describe them. So many Christians are saying, you must love your neighbor and affirm their sin. But if they actually knew the word, the utterances of God, they would not be so gullible and they would not promote evil. But they are as gullible as little children. And it is shocking, really. They regurgitate verses out of context, like, judge not lest ye be judged, right? And you ask them, have you ever heard the word that says, judge with righteous judgment? What's that? Well, maybe I need to explain that away. They don't know the word. And they would realize that to affirm the sin of their neighbor is to hate them and not to love them. And because they don't know the word of God, they cannot discern good from evil. They are as God described the Ninevites who cannot tell their left hand from their right. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not, this is what the word says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not what? Deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. through How many deceived Christians are there that say we must affirm people on the road to hell? Why? They don't know the word. And on the other hand, then, and this is one ditch, on the other hand are Christians who say that such as these could never be saved. And yet if they knew the very next verse in the text, they would say, and such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That there is hope for the salvation of the worst of the ungodly. And if these immature Christians would simply say that, what an effect they might have on the world. Do you know this for yourself, friends? Are you deceived into either thinking you are good apart from Christ or that your sins are so black that you could never be saved? No matter how heinous your sin, 
Even homosexuality or idolatry, even murder, can be washed and sanctified by the Lord. You can be justified in the name of Jesus and cleansed forever. You need to put your faith, though, in the Lord and recognize your sin is evil, and you need to turn from it. You need to repent of it and follow him, and you will be saved and saved forever. Why can I say this? Not on my authority, but from the very utterances of God. And that's why you must believe it. Believer, you need to know the word in order to know right from wrong. Sometimes the difference between right and wrong is very deceptive. That's why he says, be not deceived. And you must go to the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16.17, I hope you know this, boys and girls. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's where you go. You go back to this word. Take in the Holy Scriptures and let it have preeminence in your life. Well, beloved, today take stock of your spiritual life and the place the Word of God has in it. When you consider your spiritual life and your spirituality, where is the Word in my life? Ask yourself today diagnostic questions. How am I growing in the Word? Am I even fully catechized? Do I know the first principles of the word and where to find them in the scripture? When we speak of justification as an act of God's free grace, do you know where to go? To not take that on the authority of the church, but to take it on the authority of God Almighty. And am I growing from there? Am I growing and exercising my understanding of scripture? How are you doing this? Do you need help in this? Come and speak to the elders if you do. Put away worldliness and replace that time with your sin and the world with the word. You can do this, and it's a very convicting thing. Measure your time spent in the Word. Measure your time spent in frivolity and amusement. Strange thing, that the things you chase often rob your assurance of salvation. Often make shipwrecks of your soul and faith. Causes you to lose what you do have. You become dull of hearing. You backslide and on the road to apostasy. But if you grow from milk to meat... What a great assurance of salvation. What a greater sight the soul has of Christ. You will find your faith deepen as it drinks deeper of the Savior in his word. You will discover the richness of the faith. You will not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You will instead be planted and rooted in Christ as the man of Psalm 1 is. And you will persevere through all of life's storms and troubles as you look to him. Are you troubled today? Are you anxious? Why don't you open the word of God? Spend your time and days in it. Best of all, how much better prepared you will be to meet Christ. Oh, one of my great fears for all of you is that on the day you die, you won't recognize who you meet. And you will have no clue that this is the true Jesus of the Bible. But friends, if you know the word, how well prepared you will be for the beatific vision of God. How well prepared you will be. It all comes from a rich diet of the word. And so may God help you and me too. Pursue him through the very oracles of God. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able. O Lord, our God, how we thank you and bless you that you have given your word, you have preserved your word, you have promised to us that the word will endure for all ages. We thank you that you have done that work, that even men have died to bring this word to us. Many have been martyred by your good plan that we might have the word in our own language today. 
when the enemies of God strove to keep the word of God from his people, that they would not hear the voice of the good shepherd, but would hear the voice of popes and men who would try to steal us from you, God. And yet, what a tragedy that while we have the word that has come through the blood of Christ and the blood of the martyrs, how rarely we open it. Oh, Father, help us grow from milk to meat. Help us never be those you would charge who have become dull of hearing. Give us a greater sight uh, that the word of God would become our joy and our rejoicing, that each and every day we would open the word with great delight to hear you speak to us. Speak, Lord, for thy servants heareth. May that be our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.